0: I invite you to turn with me now to your copy of God's Word to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3, and if you don't have a Bible, we have black pew Bibles in the pews in front of you or, or under you. 1 Timothy chapter 3, we're going to be in verses 1 through 7 today. As you're turning there, please stand with me for the reading of God's Word. 1 Timothy chapter 3 beginning in verse 1 The saying is trustworthy if anyone aspires to the office of overseer he desires a noble task Therefore an overseer must be above reproach the husband of one wife sober minded self-controlled respectable hospitable able to teach not a drunkard not violent but gentle not quarrelsome So that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. May God bless the reading of his word. Please be seated. News headlines haven't been kind to pastors and to elders in recent years. Well-known leaders in Christian circles have been outed for a number of sinful improprieties. And names like Driscoll and Zacharias are now more associated with their sins than they are with the gospel message that they so dynamically proclaimed at one point in time. Entire Christian denominations have had to admit widespread abuse among its leadership ranks. And just last month, a new documentary series on the Hillsong Movement has highlighted the sinful misconduct of some of its popular pastors. To add to all this, you have Instagram accounts like Preachers and Sneakers that showcase luxury fashion choices of certain pastors and preachers. And there are innumerable YouTube clips that have Pastors appealing to their listeners for money more than they appeal to them to be saved I was recently reading some reviews on yelp of a large church that moved into our community not too long ago One of the one-star reviews from last year said I used to go here when they started last or started back in 2014 I used to follow their online sermons, too I lost my interest when I started seeing the pastors spend their money on Gucci shoes and Teslas. Now, I say all this not with the desire to slam these people, for our own church hasn't been exempt from pastors who have sinfully disqualified themselves from ministry. But I say this because we need to acknowledge the state of the church here in America, because I know that all of this is... Extremely discouraging to us as Christians. It's discouraging when you read or hear story after story of sexual sin and authoritarianism and false doctrine and abuse and worldly greed among leaders in Christian circles. You can easily start to think: Is it is ever possible to trust a church? Is it possible ever to trust its leaders? And those are valid questions in our current culture. But the issue of unqualified spiritual leaders isn't new. It's one that has plagued the church since its early days. This was a problem that the church in Ephesus was dealing with as Paul wrote First Timothy. One of the main reasons he wrote this letter was because unqualified men were leading the people astray. At the end of chapter 1, Paul singled out two of these men named Hymenaeus and Alexander. He said they had made shipwreck of their faith, and this was because they had rejected the truth. They were teaching what was false, so their teaching was not producing the, the sincere kind of faith that the truth of the gospel should produce. And so Paul wrote this letter to help set things right. And... In chapter 3, where we find ourselves today, Paul focused his attention on the church and on its leadership. In this chapter, he wrote to Timothy about elders, and he wrote to him about deacons, and the church itself. And so over the next three weeks, we'll be addressing these topics. We'll we'll talk about what makes an elder, and what makes a deacon, and what makes a church church. These are crucial topics for, for anyone who goes to church to understand. What, what is a church and who should be leading it? Well, today we'll see that God has always wanted his church to be led by elders. That's always been his plan. But elders in the church need to be the, the right kind of men. Not just any man will do. And that's because church leadership affects every Christian in the church. Leadership is critical for protecting and guiding the church, which has been bought with the precious blood of Christ. And so this morning, I want to hopefully reinforce in your minds the conviction that the church needs godly men who desire to serve as elders. And I want you to realize that whether or not you can or will ever be an elder, every one of you, Every single one of you has a role to play in making sure the church is led by men whom God has designed it to be led by. As we consider 1 Timothy chapter 3 verses 1 through 7, I want to show you three guidelines for thinking about elders in the church from these verses. Three guidelines for thinking about elders in the church. The first guideline is that the the work of an elder is a good desire. The work of an elder is a good desire. We see this in verse 1. Paul writes, the saying is trustworthy. Now, he uses this phrase numerous times in his letters to emphasize something that is important. He's indicating that the following statement is something that you should take seriously. Don't dismiss this. He wrote, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Paul was writing to a church community that was dealing with discouragement and disillusionment due to the influence of false teachers in their midst. He had to discipline two men who had gained a foothold in the church. And likely knowing that the church would be emotionally drained by all this, he wanted them to recapture a vision for the nobility of the work of elders. Now, instead of the word elder, we find the word overseer in this verse. That refers to someone who supervises, someone who leads. It's a word that's used to describe Jesus in First Peter two twenty four when he is called a shepherd and the overseer of our souls overseer shoulder the responsibility of leadership in the church in a way that lovingly cares for the people of the church this word in scripture is used synonymously with the word elder to describe the same group of men these two words overseer and elder along with the the word pastor or or shepherd are used interchangeably in the new testament and we see this in places like titus chapter one verses five to seven First Peter chapter 5, verses 1 to 2. But I want you to turn with me to Acts 20 just for a moment. Acts chapter 20. In Acts 20, and Paul called the elders of the Ephesian church to come to him in order that he might speak to them personally one more time. Uh, this was probably about five to ten years before he wrote the letter of First Timothy to Timothy and some of these same elders. And I I want you to look with me at verse 17 of Acts 20. Luke is writing here, and he writes, Now from Miletus, he, that's Paul, sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. So Paul called the elders of the church. And if you skip down to verse 28, you'll notice that he said, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you, what? Overseers. And then he says, to care for, and that's the same Greek word for pastor or to shepherd. And so to pastor or to shepherd the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. And so Acts 20, we, we see all three words, elder, overseer, and pastor or shepherd, used to describe the same group of people. These different words just give more depth and understanding to the dignity and to the roles of the leaders of God's church. Elders are not only meant to be respected as those who are mature within the community of faith, but they are ones meant to, to do the work of overseeing and pastoring, shepherding the people of God. And I should note that when we see elders addressed in the New Testament, they show up in groups. The concept of solo eldering isn't something that we find. We see this in Acts 20, that passage that we just read, when Paul called the elders of the Ephesian church. And if we go back to 1 Timothy, Paul writes about a council of elders in chapter 4, verse 14. And then he writes of plural elders who rule well in chapter 5, verse 17. It's also clear that the office of elder in the New Testament was restricted to men. As we will see in verse 3 of our passage in 1 Timothy 3, an elder was to be the husband of one wife. In other words, he was to be a man. And 1 Timothy 3 comes right after the end of chapter 2, where the last time we were in this book, Paul warned women against teaching and exercising authority over men in the church. And so elders were men. And so the office of overseer mentioned in verse 1 of our passage is a, is a synonym for the office of elder or pastor in the church. And it's an office reserved for men that should ideally be occupied by a plurality of men working together to serve and lead God's people. And Paul wants Timothy in the Ephesians, and and he wants us to know that this is an office that men should aspire to. To be an elder is something that Christian men should want. But that aspiration is qualified. Paul makes it clear in verse 1 that being an elder isn't about getting a title. It isn't about holding an office. It's about the work that an elder does. He writes that someone who aspires to be an elder, an overseer, desires a noble task. He's saying that there is goodness in desiring to do the tasks or the work that an elder is meant to do. Now, what does an elder do? Well, we see in this verse that elders are meant to lead. They oversee, they take initiative in reaching out to people in the church, they make sure that ministries are operating properly in the church. They hire staff, they set budgets, they establish policies, they lead out in prayer. And when the church is confronted with challenges, elders find a way to guide the church forward. Elders are meant to lead the church toward maturity in Christ. They oversee, they lead. We also see in verse 3 of this chapter is that elders are meant to teach. They, they feed the Word of God to the flock of God, and they guard the flock of God from ingesting what is harmful and what is false. They uphold the truth of the God the, they uphold the truth of the gospel publicly, and they teach the church to live out the implications of it through training and, and through discipleship and through counseling. Elders lead, and elders teach and one other duty that we can gain from this passage or gleaned from these verses is that elders model elders are meant to model the christian faith and that's why paul has this long list of moral qualifications for elders they are meant to shepherd by example they are meant to live among the people of god and shape them through their godliness and so the work of eldering leading and and teaching and Modeling the faith for the people of God is noble work. It's something that's good for men in the church to pursue. For some men, God may put this desire in your heart, and you may be required to test and confirm it through other mature believers. For other men, God may present this opportunity to you through the encouragement of others. It might not be something that was that was on your radar, but you should consider it seriously to see if. God is calling you to consider the work of eldership. Because this kind of work, this task, is a noble thing in God's eyes. Now, to be sure, God has not ordained for every Christian man to be an elder. But to be an elder is something that Christian men should aspire to. It's, It's not an office or a responsibility to be looked down upon. It shouldn't be a role that a man feels forced to take on. Well, while there will inevitably be a weightiness to serving as an elder. There should be an accompanying excitement and joy. Because it's a worthy calling and an honorable work to care for God's church. And as some of you here today should be more seriously considering eldership as a noble task to be embraced. If not now, then certainly in the future. On the other hand, some churches lack elders, not necessarily because no one is qualified, but because the church itself does not understand the nobility of the work that elders perform. The the church can begin to see the work of eldership or the office of eldership as, as a necessary job that no one wants. Eldership can be viewed as a role that just seems like a lot of long meetings, dealing with problematic people. It can become an office that, It seems to just be meant to field complaints and requests from disgruntled church members. As a church, if you want to have good elders, you yourself need to see the office of elder as a noble one. How you support and trust and encourage and pray for your elders will often determine whether or not men desire this good work. Now, I have to say that I'm thankful for you as a church. You have made it easy for us as elders at Redeemer to embrace the work of being an elder. I have the immense benefit of knowing that someone or some family in the church is praying for me and my family every single week. You have loved and respected us as your elders, so, so please know that you have supported us well. My encouragement for you is to keep up this work. Continue to be a church that makes it easy. For men to see eldership as noble? Now, if you're the parent of a son, I think you should also ask yourself, would I encourage my son or pastor, or my son to be a pastor, or to pursue being an elder one day? Would I think it just as noble, just as desirable, if not more so than being a doctor, or a software engineer, or a professor, or a finance professional? I think that really cuts to the heart of our desires and how we see the office of elder. If you're a parent, ask yourself, do I really, would I really encourage my, my son if I had one or if I had a son in this work? As a church member, ask yourself, how am I encouraging other men in the church to desire the work of eldering? Do, do I share what I learn from what men in the church teach with them? Do I pray for them? Do I joyfully submit to their leadership in certain ministries? Do I rejoice to see younger men in the church serve and teach and lead, even when they show their inexperience? The work of an elder is not easy. Dealing with sheep is never a walk in the park. That's why God doesn't say that the work of pastoring is like walking a dog. And he says it's shepherding sheep. It's an exercise of endurance and, and love through fields that have often not been tamed. But it's good work. It's noble work. And so the work of an elder is a good desire. It's, it's one that some of you men need to cultivate. And it's a desire that all of us in the church should encourage and embrace. Every one of you has a role to play in helping more men aspire to the office of overseer. But desire itself is not enough the the work of an elder is a good desire but the way to be an elder is through godly character and that's the second guideline we find in this passage the work of an elder is a good desire but the way to be an elder is through godly character in verses 2 to 7 there are 15 different qualities that paul lists as requirements for elders and notably out of those 15 only one has to do with giftedness The other 14 all have to do with godly character. And this tells us that elders in the church are primarily to be men who exhibit godliness. That is the most godly, not necessarily the most gifted men who are to be the leaders of God's church. And this is critical to know because character almost always takes a back seat to skill and talent and looks in our world. Sports teams look for the best athletes. They regularly take million-dollar risks on on men and sometimes women of dubious character because of their athletic potential companies try to find the brightest and most personal people to hire hollywood picks from the most toned and beautiful and in our politics it is the most dynamic and convincing and popular figures that tend to get elected but paul tells us that this is not how we are to identify leaders in the church elders are not just successful businessmen or exec- executives. They don't have to have advanced academic degrees. They don't have to be the most popular in the church. They don't have to be the oldest in the church. They don't have to be the wealthiest. They aren't simply well-connected in their community. What elders need to be first, known first and foremost for, is their godliness. And this is what we find in 1 Timothy 3. Look with me at verse 2. Paul writes, Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. Elders in God's church must be above reproach. This is non-negotiable. What follows is not a list of suggestions. The word must is used four times in these verses, here in verse 2 and in verse 4 and 6 and verse 7. None of these qualifications are optional for elders. You can't just get 12 or 13 or 14 out of the, the 15 and expect to be elder qualified. You need all 15 because without all of these qualifications listed here an elder will likely wreck havoc in a church and thereby damage the reputation of Christ in this world the first qualification is that an elder must be above reproach he must be irreproachable that means no one can bring a charge against him if someone were to accuse him of something improper it would be shocking This doesn't mean that an elder doesn't have flaws, but it means that in his observable character, there are no obvious issues. And there is a sense in which all the other qualities that follow fall under this overarching one. First, an elder must be above reproach. Second, an elder must be faithful in marriage. An elder must be faithful in marriage. Paul writes that he must be the husband of one wife. And this phrase has been taken to mean different things over the years by different people. But the best way of understanding it is that this means that an elder is to be a man who is faithful to one woman. And this obviously rules out polygamous relationships. But it also rules out a man who is married to one wife legally, but, it, but is involved with women on the side. The idea here is that an elder is to be committed and devoted to one woman in marriage. He should have the, the attitude of Winston Churchill, who, when he was asked at a, at a banquet in London, if you could, could not be who you are, who would you like to be? And when he was asked that, those in attendance wondered who this giant of the, the 20th century would, would name. And sitting next to his dear wife, he simply said, if I could not be who I am, I would most like." To to be lady churchill's second husband and we might say well played winston well played this was more than just a witty witty answer it has been well attested by biographers how devoted churchill was to his wife clemmie and you can understand why that would be because uh, she was uniquely suited to put up with his many eccentric habits An elder is to be devoted to his wife. Now, if a man remarries due to death or divorce, can he still serve as an elder? The key idea in this requirement is not how many wives a man has had, but whether he is devoted and faithful to the wife he currently has. And so remarried men can serve as elders. But other considerations would need to be taken into account, especially in the case of divorce. The emphasis of this verse is on a man being faithful to the wife he is currently married to. Notice that Paul assumes here that an elder is to be married. He also assumes that an elder has children in verses 4 and 5. And that is likely to be true of the majority of elders in the church. Marriage and children tend to mature a man. There really is no justification for how the Catholic Church requires their priests to be celibate. This is that's the, the kind of false teaching that was prevalent in ephesus which paul actually addressed in first timothy chapter four verse three most elders in god's church should be men who are married and faithful to their wives but that doesn't mean that single men can't be elders we know that paul and jesus himself are famously single and paul even advocates that man, more men consider singleness to serve the lord in first corinthians 7. So again, the focus here is on faithfulness to one woman if a man is married, and purity in his relationships if a man is not. An elder is to be faithful in marriage. Next, we find a series of of qualities required of elders that I think can be summarized as being self-controlled. Elders are to be self-controlled. And Paul uses the word sober-minded to describe elders in verse 2. The idea is that an elder is a clear thinker. He should be discerning and a wise decision-maker because churches need men who can clearly see where the church needs to go and what needs to be done to get there. Paul also uses the word self-controlled. Elders aren't to be governed by their impulses and, and emotions. They're able to restrain themselves from making certain comments or following certain feelings or being swayed by certain fads. I was a- asking my children yesterday if um, they thought that I was elder qualified after we read these verses, and they said, "Well, I'm not so sure about self-control, Baba. You really like to eat snacks. Um, and so that was a reminder to me to be working on my snack intake. So elders should be self-controlled in all aspects of their life. Elders are also to be respectable. They are to lead an orderly life. You shouldn't think of an elder's life as being chaotic. There's a certain dignity and discipline by which an elder goes about his business. And while there are some distinctions between each of these qualities, I think for our purposes we can group them under the banner of being self-controlled. An elder is someone who has been able to master his own self and thus live a sober and respectable life. In addition, an elder must be hospitable. Literally, he must love strangers. He is a man who opens up his home to others, who's willing to dine with others. He's generous with his resources toward Those who are close to him and also those whom he doesn't know well. All Christians are called to be hospitable, but elders must demonstrate this in their lives to serve as an example to the flock of what it means to love one's neighbor. And at the end of verse 2, we find the only gifting that is mentioned in this list. An elder must be able to teach. Elders must be able to teach. Now, notice here that it doesn't say that elders must be able to preach. The Greek word used here is clear. It just means teach. And so elders have to to instruct others from God's word with a certain level of effectiveness. They don't have to be the most engaging communicator, but they need to be able to clearly communicate the gospel message that that God is holy and we are sinners and, and Jesus died for our sins. They need to be able to defend biblical doctrine in a way that's understandable and clear. And at our church, this, is a, this, done, excuse me, this doesn't mean that they need to explain every doctrinal view, but they need to be able to defend our church's statement of faith. Paul puts it this way in Titus 1.9, an elder must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also rebuke those who contradict it. Moving on to verse 3, we see that an elder is also not a drinker, Paul writes that he is not a drunkard. Uh, This isn't a prohibition on alcohol, but it's a reminder that elders shouldn't be known for drinking. The word in Greek that Paul uses here can refer to drunkenness, but can also just refer to being addicted to alcohol. If you're a man who loves wine, it's not that you have to give that up entirely to become an elder, but your reputation shouldn't be that of a drinker elders should also be gentle in their disposition. And we see this in the next few characteristics provided in verse 3. Elders should have a gentle disposition. An elder is not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome. He doesn't get into fights. He doesn't use physical force to get his way. He's not argumentative. He's not known for being meddlesome on social media. He's willing to back off if discussions start to get heated. He's gentle, like Jesus. He's meek, Now, this quality of of calm reasonableness is so essential to being an elder in God's church. Authority can easily lead to authoritarianism. It can become domineering and harsh and heavy-handed. And This is often the way that leadership works in the world to get results. But in the church, gentle disposition is needed when criticism is inevitably levied, and sins need to be addressed, and hard conversations need to be had, and difficult emails need to be sent. This kind of demeanor allows others in the church to feel like they can approach the leaders of the church. Elders must have a gentle disposition. They, they also can't love money. An elder is not a, a money lover. He is content with what he has. He is in greedy. And with so many prosperity preachers in America and occasional reports of financial indiscretions and in even more conservative churches, this is a qualification not to be ignored. Elders in God's church should live within their means. Now, now, some churches have adopted the mentality that you shouldn't pay their, your pastor much so that they won't become lovers of money. That's a backward way of thinking of this qualification. An elder or pastor shouldn't even be hired if there is a concern that they might be tempted by riches. I, I, I like what John Piper has said. He, he said, don't call a pastor who's trying to get rich, and don't be a church that's trying to keep them poor. Now, this qualification isn't just for paid pastors or staff elders. It's for lay elders as well. Greedy lay elders may not receive personal financial benefit from the church, but they can manipulate budgets, they can focus too much on the church's giving numbers, and that can lead them to be stingy with the church's resources. Elders shouldn't be money lovers. An elder, an elder should also be a family man. We see this in verses 4 and 5. He, Paul writes that he must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive, so an elder should have a track record of good household management and the emphasis here is on his parenting. An elder needs to be a father who has children that willingly submit to his instruction. He parents with dignity. He doesn't exasperate his kids. He's consistent and fair and clear and loving. An elder should have children that respect and listen to him. And in first or in Titus 1 6 paul writes that an elder's children are to be believing or better translated faithful an elder can't guarantee that his children will be christians that that is up to god but an elder can parent his children in such a way that they are faithful in behavior and willing to submit to him so an elder must be a good family man because in verse 5 paul writes for if someone does not know how to manage his own household how will he care for god's church The Puritans used to say that family is a a little church. It's a little church that provides a testing ground for men in God's big church. And if a man can manage his family with dignity, then perhaps he can be trusted to properly care for God's family. Moving on to verse 6, an elder must also be spiritually mature. He must not be a recent convert, or he might become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of, of the, devil, of the devil, Immature elders, recent converts, can become puffed up. This qualification isn't meant to exclude younger men from serving as elders, but younger men need to have enough time and experience under their belt to prove their doctrine and their humility before becoming elders. And then finally, an, an elder must be respected in the community. He must be well thought of by outsiders, it says in verse 7. Now, of course christians aren't always well liked by the world we are often rejected for what we believe but an elder even if he is disliked for his convictions should still be respected by others in the world for his character and for his behavior paul provides this last qualification as a reminder that those in the world are often a helpful check on our evaluation of those in the church if a man seems great in the church but has a different reputation outside of it. It's reason for concern. And so elders must be above reproach, self-controlled, hospitable, able to teach, not drinkers with gentle dispositions, not lovers of money, but family men, spiritually mature and respected in the community. In short, elders must exhibit godliness in all aspects of their life. They must be men of exemplary Character as they serve to model Christ's likeness in the church. So, the work of an elder is a good desire, and the way to be an elder is through godly character. There's one more guideline that I just want to briefly mention, and it it's that the warning to elders in this passage is a grave reminder. The warning to elders is a grave reminder. This warning came at the end of verse 6 when Paul cautioned against elders who might. Become puffed up and fall into the condemnation of the devil. He also provides a warning at the end of verse 7. Why must an elder be well thought of by the world so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil? If an elder does not properly conduct himself in a godly manner in the world, he opens himself up to the, to the snare of the devil someone who is always seeking someone to devour. And this can lead to public disgrace. It can lead to the dis- besperchment of the name of Christ. It can lead to damage of the reputation of the church. <clears throat> and that's what we have seen in the church today. So many disgraced pastors and elders have become puffed up. They have followed the, the footsteps of the devil instead of the footsteps of our Lord. They haven't carefully watched their associations with the world, and they have fallen into the trap of the evil one. This is a grave reminder. It's a sobering reminder. Satan wants to trap the leaders of of God's people, And, and there has been a continuous flow of fallen pastors in the history of the church because Satan loves to trap these men. He wants to tempt and discredit the elders of God's people because of their unique influence upon god's people he knows that churches reflect their leadership and their character and so if he can get to the leadership he can often get to the church so we must be on guard as shepherds and as sheep as shepherds and aspiring shepherds we need to watch out for temptation we need to be above reproach we need to be self-controlled generous toward others we need to uphold god's word we need to be gentle We need to love our wives and our families. And we need to do this because of the church which Jesus died for. And Paul said it this way in Ephesians, or Paul said it this way in Acts 20, 28, which we considered earlier. Let me just read it again. He said, Pay careful attention to yourselves. He's talking to the elders. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. Jesus died for the church. He paid for it with his own blood. And he has given elders the responsibility to help care for this precious group of people. So shepherds need to be watchful. And as sheep, you need to be prey. Pray for your elders to be protected from the snares of the devil and from the pride of their own hearts and from the temptations of the world. We've been warned. Jesus has promised to build his church, but he has ordained that he would do so through elders overseeing the work, not through supremely talented and brilliant personalities, but through ordinary, godly men. Will some of you consider being such men? And will the rest of you encourage men with potential in this work? On the other hand, while Jesus is building his church, Satan is actively working to try to tear it down. And one of his primary targets is her leaders. Will you pray for your elders? Will you remind us to be vigilant to live godly lives? The church needs godly men who desire to serve as elders. And every one of you has a role to play in making sure the church is led by the men whom God has designed it to be led by. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we see your wisdom in the way that you have designed your church to function and to be led by men who are godly, and yet we know that, that we are weak as human beings and as men, and we need your help in this. And Father, we pray that you would protect the elders of this church. Help us to be men who, who pursue godliness, who pursue Christ-likeness, who model what it means to be a follower of Christ. And Father, I pray that you would raise up men in this church to be leaders in your church to take on the mantle of of shepherding and, and teaching and overseeing. Pray that you would make all the men in our church godly men. And I pray that you would do this for your glory and for your bride. We pray these things in the name of Christ Jesus, our Savior and Lord. Amen.